The following is part two of a two-part podcast, so if you're interested in understanding what's going on, make sure that you're caught up on the previous part. Does that make sense? Yeah. Cool. Now, what you said earlier, the sad, unavoidable reality remains that it costs an absolute shit ton of money to hire a lobbyist at all. So only rich and powerful organizations or people can play the game. That's the actual really sad part about lobbying. There's not, it's not corruption. It's not, uh, you know, all these people being paid behind closed doors or what have you. It's just that only the rich can do it because there's not that many people who are former Congress people or former congressional staff members who can actually perform this job. And so as just a simple supply and demand, it costs a lot to pay them. Uh, that's just, that's the sad part about lobbying. Uh, anyways, I hope that little detailed information helps some of these people understand it more. The, the regulations and protections in place are incredibly powerful and the industry just boils down to friends talking to each other. You know, I imagine not a lot of people, especially not a lot of your viewers are very open to accepting that. So I completely understand if, uh, you all choose to disregard it. Do you have well, any further takes on the specifics of the lobbying industry? Well, the issue is that wh when you talk about corruption, you're delineating a legal distinction, um, not so much a moral one. You know, there are plenty of other countries that are, at least by my definition, more corrupt than ours, where they can get away with doing things that are illegal here. And there are countries that are less corrupt than ours, where they can't do things that here in America you can do. And they would call what we have corruption. At the end of the day, when we talk about corruption, what we're really talking about is the corrosive influence of corporations and government working together at the expense of their constituents. That's like the like at the end of the day, right? I mean, like wherever we draw the line, there we're talking about the the antagonisms between these interests and the degree to which it's been legislated. And I mean, obviously, given a socialist perspective, my issue is that there's a distinction here at all. Uh, my problem with lobbying has nothing really to do with the way in which they do it, because you don't really need to lobby to be corrupt. In fact, no money ever really has to change hands in order for, you know, corruption to take place. Um, the very existence of an incentive structure and groups that can act on it to the exclusion of others is sufficient to uh, outrage me morally. I mean, for example, like corporations, they're the economic wing of this country and they're not democratic. They do not answer to the people outside of, you know, you can vote with your wallet, but like, okay, sure. Vote Amazon out, whatever, you know? Um, <laughs> now let's, let's take Amazon. Amazon is a necessary component of American economic activity. If you Thanos snapped Amazon out of existence right now, it would be devastating. I mean, it'd be devastating all over the, you know, a good deal of the world, but here in America, especially, it would be very bad. And the fact that that's the case means that they have an undemocratic power they can levy uh, when asking politicians to do things in their favor. We saw this when Amazon tried to set up a factory in New York, but it goes way beyond like individual factory and plant locations, right? If, if you know, uh, here's an example, uh, uh, corporate tax rates, right? Uh, Ireland has famously low corporate tax rates as a way of incentivizing foreign 
investment. You know, set up your corporations here. Great. America, maybe America, all the people in America and all the politicians, you know, maybe we want a higher corporate tax rate which is dumb because corporate tax rates aren't very helpful. I'm more of an income tax guy, but let's just use this for the example, you know, but they know sure. that there will be capital flight. If that happens, hypothetically, uh, the corporations would leave. They, they, they don't want to pay the taxes. They go to another company uh, or another country. So they don't have to pay the higher um, corporate tax. Th that pressure right there is sufficient. The, the um, economic consequences of acting against the corporate will could could very well mean that there a, a company experiences devastating consequences for not you know essentially bending to their interest this this acts out in so many ways locally and federally it's not really about the lobbying directly as it is the fact that our politicians either have to or do anyway uh, kowtow to the will of corporations when it's not to the benefit of Americans. I think one of the worst examples of this was back when um, they made it so the IRS doesn't just send you a tax bill every year. Um, you know, because other countries, like, they'll just send you a tax bill. The IRS will just be like, hey, pay this amount. Here in America, we have to file our own taxes, even though the IRS knows what we owe. And that's just because uh, tax filing companies wanted to make it that way. They were like, hey, we get a lot more uh, we'd get a lot more business if hundreds of millions of people had to pour over their receipts for, you know, hours hmm. for, for weeks, you know. So so they just made life worse, like objectively, basically, um, because it was in the interest of that group. Now, there was nothing illegal there. I mean, that's fine. I mean, that just sucks. Those companies suck. I mean, right. But that's I my big concern. There. And they, they wouldn't <laughs> have even needed to say anything, right? There's so many interplays here. Uh, you know, you have you have politicians who will continuously, you know, vote in favor of increases to the military budget. And then they go act as a consultant for Raytheon when they're done. You know, you have people who go into the lobbying industry who act as avatars for the corporations that they defended the interests of when they were politicians. You have people like Trump who go from being a billionaire corporate, you know, uh, owner to being a politician and refusing to divest his corporations or his ownership over the companies. And 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 then, you know, like maintaining friendly relationships with countries where he has hotels it's stuff like that right like the the corrosive influence here it's not just lobbying it's the fact that there is this separate economic block the bourgeois who have so much control over the future of this country and no democratic accountability i understand i've just gone on the whole socialist rant again but i yeah that's <laughs> that's my that's my thing with lobbying it's a fundamental relationship they could add a bunch of lobbying regulations. It wouldn't change the fundamental relationship. It would just make everything a little more subtle, you know? Yeah. Um, I just hope you get my perspective. Because, I know you won't agree with it, yeah, but like, no, I hope totally. you get, yeah, okay. Uh, there was a lot to go over there. Uh, <laughs> the first one was regarding what I consider corruption. Uh, I don't consider it just from a legal standpoint. Um, my idea of corruption is that anybody who's elected to an office has an obligation to do what's in the best interest of their constituent. So if they are acting in a way that they believe is not in the best interest of their constituents, that falls under the realm of, of corruption because there must be some other motivation behind it. But 
they can be mistaken in their beliefs. You know, you've been wrong about things before. I've been wrong about things before. People in Congress are no different. They can be, uh, there was virtually every person in Congress was wrong about the Iraq war. And the vast majority of those who voted for it have uh, come out either publicly or privately and said that they regret that decision and that it was a mistake. Uh, but they believed at the time that they were voting in the best interests of their constituents. Um, so I don't think that those people are corrupt because they made a wrong decision. I think it would be corrupt if they made that decision knowing that it would be uh, against the interests of the people that they represent. Well, I'll, I'll, I'll ask you, okay. Um, Go for it. It's so so we're not drawing legal parallels here, but you know, um, morally speaking, right? Um, let's say you have a monarchy. You have a you have a king, and you have a great many subjects, and you have you know a royal house with a few dozen aristocrats, lords who control you know large territories from a castle with their serfs and blah blah. You know the whole nine yards. And All right, we're playing EU four. We're playing EU four, right? No incest this time, though. We're getting right to the point. And um, you know. Let you know. Maybe you have it so that um, maybe maybe you have it so that the um, the uh, uh, you know there's a war effort going on. The king needs more money in taxes. Okay, um, and it is for the, the benefit of the realm uh, that this be done. I mean, you know, don't want an invasion. Okay, but he also knows that raising taxes would incur disfavor from a couple of the noble houses, and that the noble houses acting on their disfavor might go back on some relatively progressive uh, local taxation rates and um, uh, tariffs that they've, uh, not tariffs, um, doles that they've taken uh, to the point that raising taxes globally might lead to, uh, you know, disastrous uh, humanitarian problems in some regions of his, uh, of his kingdom. And this is like a real thing that would happen, right? You know, uh, being no, a king- it's totally realistic. Oh yeah, yeah, constantly about balancing like all the noblemen were like mentally ill, inbred, incestuous fuckwits, right? And they, you know, they were they're all like, you know, they're obsessed with like their next boar hunting trip and any time they had to pay money, they would go and like rape a cow or something. I don't know. They're in, fuck being a king. But anyway, like the, <laughs> the 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 categorical problem is that sometimes acting in the best interest of your constituents means kowtowing to forces I don't think the state should have to kowtow to. Now, of course, a monarch isn't democratically accountable, so I'm really only playing this up for the, for the sort of amusing comparison. But you know, mm -hmm. if if a, if a corporation uh, is you know too big to fail, as the banks were, and they're struggling. Uh, we have this weird situation where you're acting in the interests of your constituencies by bailing them out, which was what Obama did. And I agree with what Obama did. You know, the banks have paid back their loans. Uh, I, I, you know, I'm not one of those lefties who bitches about that. We, 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 um, paid the, you know, we, we bailed them out, but we never fixed the problem really with the banks being too powerful. Um, which means that we're in this weird situation where we're willing to do these giant wealth transfers for the benefit of the banks to support our constituency, but then we're not willing to make substantive changes to pay it down over the line, to keep it from happening again. You know, sometimes this is it's really kind of a hostage situation, right? You know, uh, like we're acting in our own best interest when we give the bandit our, our, our money. 
like or sorry i'm 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 going all over the place i apologize quick simple clean example the international monetary fund okay uh the international oh yeah the international monetary fund uh is generally in favor of getting developing company or developing countries to adopt economic reforms which makes them amenable to western business investment and in these situations, often the leaders of these countries have to give massive provisions to corporate investment, low taxes, low corporate taxes, low, I mean, low everything, you know, the government will subsidize all this crap, the government will build your roads, it'll do everything for you, please God, corporations come invest, you know, and it is technically for the betterment of the country that they do this. Because if they don't, everything falls apart, but it's not a choice they should have to make. You know what I mean? So See, that, that actually brings up an interesting point. So if you're the leader of a uh, sub-Saharan African country that uh, wants IMF loans, and they are requesting that you open up your country to business from, uh, for the West, and the two projections are, projection one, you do not do what the IMF wants you to do. Their people continue you know, having a standard of living that is uh, quite below the standards of uh, the rest of the world generally. Or option two, assuming that, you know, you're not some horribly corrupt dictator and will quander all of the IMF loans and not actually get anything done, uh, the projections say that your country will, uh, you know, reach the level of um, you know, Egypt or, or South Africa or one, one of the other more developed uh, African countries. Uh, and your people will generally have a higher standard of living across the board. Now, I understand that that second scenario perhaps doesn't play into the leftist ideology. You know, it makes them further away from communism or socialism or, or whatever term you'd like to use. But would you consider that to be a corruption mechanic where the leader chooses the IMF loans? Yes. Oh, I'd say it's coercive by, by necessity. Um, well, coercive, yes. I, I, well, I think it, that's a very broad term. Yeah, it, yeah, yeah, certainly it is. I think, I mean, I chafe at the existence of the choice at all, I suppose. There are countries yeah. that have you know, issued the IMF and done a sort of, you know, um, uh, very like, um, what's the term? When you're very economically nationalist, protectionist. Um, gotcha. Right. When, when they engage in, you know, protectionist policies and really build up their economy internally, sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes taking the IMF deal is actually the better one for a country, in which case, you know, it's kind of like, um, it's, it's kind of like being an orphan on the street. And a guy takes you in, but he only lets you sleep in the dog shed and he feeds you like, you know, meat scraps. I mean, it's technically an improvement over being on the street. You have a roof over you and you're getting some food, but it, you know, the, the guy is a house right there. He could let you into. Um, and I guess that's the issue. Ultimately, you know, they, the, the IMF lets countries develop in so far as they remain useful to Western business investment. That's the critical element there. Not the country developing, but you know, as long as their laws are amenable, you know, their natural resources are accessible and cheap for uh, Western extraction, then that's the main thing. And if the country gets rich off that, fine, but they can't ever get that rich 
because you don't get to be a United States by following the do you know the dogma of the IMF, right? You know, the United States isn't wealthy because you you know we're amenable to foreign trade and we sell off our natural resources for cheap. We're we're, we're the United States because we're you know the 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 zenith of industrial production of 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 innovation of business acumen i mean we're the united goddamn states you can't just play second fiddle to another country forever and i guess i feel that way about the corporations too the corporations you know businessmen will ask of politicians this that the other politicians can do it and maybe it's for the betterment of everyone but it's an unfair deal because things could be so much better if we didn't shake hands but instead you know uh, uh, crushed their hands in our, in our mighty grip and then robbed them blind. Um, Ouch. which would be, which would, which would be nice. You know, metaphorically, nobody needs to be, nobody needs to be hurt. If the corporations were, were wealthier than they are now, I mean, hell, look at, look at, uh, like, uh, India, uh, uh, after Britain left, right? I mean, you have all these Western corporations that are scurrying around, trying to find purchase, you know, whatever they can make use of. And um, the, the right answer, overwhelmingly, and in many cases, was to let them do what they wanted because they would bring in money. But like, God, what a fucked choice, right? I mean, there has to be a better answer. And I think the answer in many of these cases is that there shouldn't be an ultra-powerful corporation bossing you around like that. That just, the, the, it's the, the answer is to remove the question to begin with. I, I, under, I understand what you're saying. Um, and that, that kind of brings, brings me back to the difference between idealism and pragmatism, right? I, oh, yeah. I, I may be mistaken, but I believe that you've uh, called yourself quite a pra pragmatic person generally. Am I incorrect? No, you're correct. Though I think we're finding this is a relative term uh, in the political spectrum. <laughs> Perhaps, uh, perhaps, but clearly you understand that making these choices that are for the best interests of the constituents may not always be uh, objectively, you know, right from, objectively morally correct from the point of view of a certain system of beliefs. Uh, but it's still the right thing to do because the most people benefit from it. Yeah. I mean, you can do the math on this, right? Like, um, if you have, uh, if you have, um, if you have, uh, um, how do you put it? A small town that's not doing well economically and a company offers to invest to build a plant there, you know? But you know that like this company has uh, a lot of emissions and there tend to be health problems and they've had like three scandals about like, you know, chemicals being dumped in the water. You know, well, what's, oh, that's, what's... that's horrible. That's the, you, you can't. I don't think you should compare dollars and economic value to what's I mean, that, that's, that's not even really a determinable amount of harm that could be done to that community that uh, I, I think it any happens. reasonable politician. Sure, some of them choose the money, but I think well, the, the a jobs. really well-educated politicians should definitely not be choosing to endanger their constituents' health. I, I think that's completely irresponsible. 1, 000, I don't think you'll find me disagreeing on that. 
1,000, 2,000 jobs in a small community where people don't have money to buy groceries outside their, uh, their, their food stamps. It happens. And they, they make those decisions, you know? And all the time you find out after these, uh, you know, after these big ecological problems, they found, you know, mercury in the river or poison in the ground, flint water, whatever. You can usually trace it back to somebody making one of those choices, right? Some, one of those, you know, uh, we don't have the money for this, you know, we're not going to spend the money on this. We need the jobs, overlook it, you know, de delay the safety inspection, put it down the line. They make these choices all the time. And, 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 you know, and sometimes there's a big blow up scandal and, and people go to jail over it. And sometimes there's nothing to even be said because it never comes out or nothing illegal actually took place. And sometimes the harm isn't that explicit, you know, chemicals in the water is pretty upfront, but there are other things yeah. too, uh, like unethical industries, for example, you know, uh, it, it, you might have an issue with, um, arms manufacturers um, or, or anything related to the military industrial complex, you might have an issue with a particular company, uh, like car companies, right? Like maybe there are dealerships that want to open, but these companies, they, you know, they, they morally object, but you don't get that choice because it's, it's not a fair deal. You know, we need companies, but they're accountable to nothing outside of stringent regulations and, um, well, I guess they have to be profitable. Not even. I mean, as we see with, with the subsidies yeah. and the banks getting bailed out. I mean, they don't even have to be that anymore. Every um, ride share company in existence. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You can run billions in losses and just and and I and I, I understand this oh, is Lord. like a, a pragmatic um thought on my part, you know. Uh but every once in a while life uh life reminds us that there is a better way. You know, I'm reminded of uh, a Mr. Um uh, a Mr. Fidel, you know, back, back during the oh. Batista regime in Cuba, fascist, you know, real, real piece of shit. Uh, and, and don't get me wrong, Castro made a ton of mistakes. Definitely better than Batista, though. And um, anyway, I, I think there was, this, there was this company that was actually funneling money to Castro because they were an American company and they saw the writing on the wall. Batista was going to go down and they thought, Hey, Castro might be the next, you know, Cuban leader. We should get in good with this guy. We'll pay him now and he'll be favorable to us when he takes power. And Fidel took that money. And when Fidel ran his revolution and took charge, he just nationalized the fucking corporation anyway. Yoink. Just fucking, just took, just took it and ran. And, and uh, I, just dumb decision on their part, on the company's part. Oh yeah, it was. Yeah. They, they, they might've thought he was just another crony, but the guy actually, yeah. Um, uh, I, I, Castro, I'm not a huge fan of. It. I I recently discovered in some research. Mm -hmm. I say discovered. That's a really poor way of learning of saying it. But uh, I learned via some research that he actually penned a letter to Khrushchev during the Cuban Missile Crisis, asking Khrushchev to just go ahead and use the nukes in basically in the world. Uh, like, yeah, he had a he had a joke. The, the guy's fucking nuts and terrible. Sorry if you if you like him, but I I, I can't I can't take that that he actually did that and then consider him to be a redeemable person. Because it goes us. against it goes against my my whole thing of I'm trying to find the best good for the most people in the world. And this guy's over here trying to end the world. No, I get that. I, 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 listen, we've all 
we've all almost started the diplomatic process of ending the world in nuclear hellfire. Okay, this happened to all of us. <laughs> you know, we've all had our moments. Uh, you know, it's it's not a testament to the guy or anything like that. Broadly, I'm only saying that you know history has shown us that things are incremental until very suddenly they're not. You know, um, that yeah. you know, right? You get long periods of barely minor changes. But every once in a while, there's a flashpoint. And my hope is that increasing antagonism against the wealthy today can, can provide us the political will for a flashpoint. Because I've given up hope that anything less than a flashpoint can make a real difference. Like, you can get some reforms, and they're good, don't get me wrong, you know. I think some of the stuff Biden has done, like the cutting the, the child tax credit and, um, you know, the propositions for the infrastructural bill. I mean, it's not enough, but it's better than not having it, even if I mean, whatever actually ends up going through. Um, yeah. But the real root of these changes, you know, it just it just seems to be that corporate element. The, the fact that, you know, we, we had our enlightenment and we figured, you know, hey, it's good when governments are democratic. And then for some reason, we didn't extend that to the corporations. We just thought, yeah, you know, just let the entire economic wing of the world, all productive capacity and output, essentially the bedrock of all modern civilization. We won't make that democratic, you know. We'll make the governments democratic, uh, but not most governments in the West will not have any direct control over those, you know, forces of production. So we've kind of a tenuous, it's like we're riding one of those bucking Bronco robots at the bars with the, the, the chicks with the cowboy hats, you know. The mechanical bull. Yeah, 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 the mechanical bull. We could just turn it off. Now, sure, the, the restaurant staff might try to stop us. Uh, we just have to fight them. And, uh, and, and then we can turn the bull off. I'm sorry. That was a fun, that was a, nah, just fun, fun image. Just someone trying to run up and turn off a mechanical bull. Yeah, like decking, like, staff, like, like, two hooters like waitresses at the same time while charging the the bull with like a wrench you know uh yeah I, I'm, I'm just it's it's a glib subject right i mean I, I because my 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 greatest belief and i would love to believe this is that all of these negative forces in the world can be changed and improved at least somewhat with mechanisms that work within the law within the acceptable purview of what can be done. But if you look through history, that's just not how things go, right? I mean, it's always like there's some factory strike and 20 people died or like some politician gets assassinated. Here there's a revolution, there there's that. And then big things happen. You know, we needed a whole civil rights act just to get, well, I mean, the whole civil rights movement to get the civil rights act passed. Um, and that didn't even have reparations attached. That was just the basic shit, you know, uh, desegregation. Um, and 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 people thought that was impossible before too. I I don't I don't know I don't know. A lot of it is just normalizing the belief that we can go further than what electoralism can do. That electoralism is like a just one of a number of of means of political expression. And as long as those means exist, I appreciate what you do, and I agree with you on almost every normative issue where we should go. And I think people, because this is not coming from the left, by the way, people need to have a good sense of economics because that's not coming from the left, not the online left at least. Um, but there also needs to be that push for something beyond or outside of, I think.
See, and that I think is where we may disagree because I, I, I don't believe that this incrementalist approach leads, we're not slowly tipping over the boulder until it reaches the edge of the cliff. That's not my belief. My belief is that I'm trying to push this boulder away from the cliff uh, down a gentle slope that leads to a bright field of roses. I don't know. But uh, I, I like the system we've got, uh, obviously. I wouldn't be a Republican otherwise. But I think that if everyone were to do better, that would, that'd be the best, and that I think this system is the best way to do that. That's where you and I disagree. However, because we agree on the same uh, things that should be done, that is decreasing income inequality, decreasing wealth inequality, valuing uh, the average employees, uh, the lower quintiles, and making it so that they have a higher quality of life, then why can't we work together? That's why I'm here on the show. Because even though I'm a Republican, even though I'm a conservative who is a which is a group that ad, admittedly you you demean uh, about every two minutes oh a uh, little bit <laughs> uh, you know a, a little bit let's not exaggerate from time to time i have my moments um that i can i can get ideas from you guys and if you guys would like you can get ideas from me and we'll end up with better policy as a result no, I don't that's, disagree that's at all. My my dream, um, my dream, I guess, lefty pushing for econ stuff would be a person who is, you know, like they're in like the state, you know, legislator, and they're talking with state representatives about like the need to like slightly adjust like housing taxes or whatever, you know, and uh, um, the you know they're they're talking with a group of people. There's some you know like stodgy you know Republican there. That, what are you a socialist? You know because they want to raise taxes four percent or whatever. And you know the 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 young uh the you know the young um staffer there sort of pushes their glasses up like the anime you know and the cinnamon <laughs> says no and and gets on with their work. I think you you need to you need to be able to do both. You need to be able to flawlessly um work within a system. And to maintain a a rich distaste for that system, because if you if you only do one of those two things, in my opinion, I mean, at least if you're a socialist, right. um, if you only do one of those things, your your ability is is limited somewhat. Um, yeah, in terms of like optimism for for the the incremental progress that can be made, obviously we differ significantly. In terms of like the the big bold changes, I'll I'll just ask this: Is there a time period in American history um, that that you think was better than what we have now with regards to the economic situation, income inequality, workers, owners, that kind of thing? Not accounting for technological changes, you know. I I don't, I don't mean like like obviously right now the economy is better than it was in the fifties, but if you could sort of normalize for that and just take into account the attitude, the 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 environment. If I'm to consider my primary metric as quality of life, standard of living, you know, kind of a mix of those two things, um, then I would actually I would not say that there's that there's a better time in America than right now. Uh, I think that we're leading down a path at which it will plateau for the average American, or it'll plateau 
for the average worker, uh, where their quality of life, their standard of living will not be improving anymore. Um, and that's the trend that I'm trying to reverse. Uh, but as it stands, I do think that generally every, every quintile, again, to use that term, has a better quality of life than they did at any point in America's past. I feel like a lot of that is because of technological changes, though. If you could normalize you wouldn't be wrong. That, there's almost no way to actually, like, do that, like, normalize for that. Like, that's, that's very much, like, kind of a fantastical thing. A lot of our conceptions of the economy of the past are kind of romanticized, too. Like, the average mm -hmm. person in the 1950s didn't actually live in the suburb with the dad working a comfy factory job and then going home to his homemaker wife. Like, the average, the average 1950s household had a dual <laughs> income, you know? I... Um, right? I, I, yeah, I, it's just, it's when, it's when upper middle class white families had to do dual income that everyone freaked out. Um, yeah, there, there's, there's a lot of stuff there. I don't know. It's, it's, it's really difficult to say. I just think that, um, if, if you go back, there, there are nice things to look at back from those days. And it just seems like a lot of them were a product of attitudes and regulations, which just don't exist anymore. At least pro-union. Are you, are you pro-union? Like the idea like workers should be able to organize their interests against uh, uh, their, their, their boss? If you ask me the question, do I think that workers should be allowed to organize in their own interests against those of the company or their boss or, or whatever, um, whether that should be legal or not, I think the answer is obviously yes. That of course should be legal. I, I think that unions have uh, historically been the source of a lot of uh, great advances in this country. Uh, I do think that there are situations in which unions overstep uh, what they should be doing. A lot of those are public sector unions, unfortunately, that manage to do that. I'm not um, a big fan of police unions, I'll admit. Police unions, they're a big one. They're a gigantic contributor to the culture of uh, not weeding out bad police officers. You know, I, I don't want to jump into that subject, but uh, I do think that police unions have a hand in that. Uh, and a lot of teachers unions, um, you know, they're, they're on strike in a bunch of cities right now uh, because they don't want to return to in-person learning. Now, a lot of those are very valid because they're in a lot of those areas, the rates of infection are uh, quite high. Uh, we're hitting records again in, in, in many of those areas. But yeah. even in some areas where it's not uh, as much of a pandemic right now, some of them are striking. Uh, and it, it seems a little bit more self-serving than it does to be in the interest of the students and the teacher. Uh, I, I hope that makes sense. I, I, I know I went a little bit further beyond the purview of your question that was intended. No, I get it. it, it, it I do think it interesting, though, the way we talk about unions, you know, whenever it's when it's when it's with unions, you know, sometimes unions overstep, you know, what are your thoughts on unions? Oh, they have their good and their bad. Nobody talks about corporations that way, right? Because corporations are in, infinitely more powerful than the unions. Unions aren't really an independent economic body. They're just kind of a internal regulatory mechanism, a way of, you know, uh, uh, forming a, a competing power group. Um, but Whenever people talk, and not just you, I mean, but whenever people talk about unions, it's always this like, well, 
you know, they have their good and their bad. But when we talk about corporations, it's sometimes bad things happens because of corporations, but their existence is taken as a kind of existential for granted. Like it's like it's just a like a point in reality. You know what I mean? And and the thing is, right? They might be right because corporations self perpetuate because they have their own power. They have their own uh, you know mechanisms for enforcing political will, but unions don't. Uh, which is why in the United States, even though it's illegal to fire people for unionizing, uh, it happens all the time. And of course, you can never really prove it. I mean, you know, it's, uh, you know, somebody talks about unionizing and then they get fired for uh, poor attendance because they missed one day. You, you can always get that. I mean, there's no way to stop that from happening. Um and the right to work laws and everything. So right now, like it, it feels like unions are a dying flame, and corporations are a forest fire that has eclipsed the entire, uh, you know, Pacific Northwest uh, in terms of like what needs to be protected. Do you get what I mean? I kind of understand that. Yeah, I, I will say, I will touch on this, even though it was only tangential to what you said. Mostly because um, what you said, I can't really find any disagreement with about just a objective. This this is the paradigm. Um, but oh shoot! Oh yeah, right to work laws. I don't believe that somebody should be obligated to join a union in order to work at a company or in order to work in a position. Mm -hmm. um, I understand that that union still provides benefits to that person in terms of uh, working conditions, uh, pay, other forms of compensation, uh, et cetera. But, you know, we don't force people to vote but they still benefit from the, from what the laws that politicians pass. I, I just don't agree with, with the obligation mechanism at play there. And while right to work laws encompass many, many, unless I'm mistaken, many other things besides just that one point, um, I do think in that way that they are uh, not mistaken. I think right-to-work laws refer to a few things, right? There is the compelled union participation. I think there's also something about um, whether or not non-union members have to work alongside unions in, 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 contra in contractual negotiations. There, there's something to that. I think, um, it, I guess, the thing that gets me a little bit is that there are so many rights that we're willing to leave to the market when we take political democracy to be sacrosanct, you know? There are things we think you shouldn't be able to sell off, right? Like, right now in America, the idea of being able to literally sell away your rights is, I guess there are some edge cases where this is doable. If you're a soldier, for example, you do lose wow. yeah. some rights, but in a broader sense, I mean, the idea of a democracy is, is kind of like, you don't really get to choose that's that's like that's the fun of it, right? You know, you don't get to choose whether or not you get to choose. You live in a democracy. That's it. Uh, sorry, and I'm fine with that. You know, 
Uh, I'm I'm okay, for example, with with making it, uh, it. You shouldn't be able to sell yourself into indentured servitude. You know, even if you sign a contract, cross the T's, dot the I's. You know, the state busts in. They're like, "Oh my God, you own fifty slaves," and the slave owner's like, "No, check it. They've got you know signed it all." I'm okay with that. You know, being illegal. Not even to speak of the coercive potential of that. But you know, there, <laughs> there are. I'm okay with 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 those limitations. And with regards to the union thing or like economic democracy, it's always like a you know, well, what works? What do people want? What are people willing to fight for? You know, and I just don't think that works. Maybe workers aren't willing to like unionize to the extent that they used to, you know, maybe they're not pushing as hard as they should. Mm. I feel like the average American would sell their right to vote for a thousand dollars. I really do. I think, I think the, the 50% or more of Americans, if they could get a thousand dollars from the government to forever waive their right to cast a vote in an election at any level, I think they would do it. I genuinely do think that. Um, What's maybe really sad I'm, is I can't, uh, I can't in good faith sit here and yell at you that you're wrong about that. I don't think, I, I don't think saying the majority. Uh, Maybe I'm being hyperbolic with that, but, but a lot of people, like a lot, I, a lot of people. Yeah. I, I'd agree that sadly that that may be the case. And, and people do this all the time with their right to privacy too. You know, uh, we do that online, right? We yeah. know social media companies are selling our data to the, to they, the, we know they give it to the NSA because Snowden leaked those documents. What was it? Prism? We, we, we know that. We know they sell it to advertisement companies. And I swear to God, I don't know how much of this is me going insane, how much of this is real, how much of this is conspiracy. But in my, in my house, I don't have one of those Alexa home things. I have a computer with, with mics. I have talking into one right now. And I will get advertisements for things that I've been talking about. I swear to God, you, I can be in a room with the computer off, you know, and talk about like some incredibly specific piece of equipment and get advertisements for it. Or on Amazon, they'll go this, you would also be interested in, like I buy something on Amazon and it's like cat food. And then the thing you might also be interested in, you know, car snow windshield wiper replacement fluid. Like what the, like. Well, I, I, I can tell you all about that. Oh, sure. Well, I, please, I can tell you all about that. Please, please do. But I'm just saying like all of this, people, aren't great at individually making choices to secure their rights. I kind of think we have to force those rights on them, as silly as it sounds. And economic democracy is one of those things. If we want to force people into their unions, I'm honestly okay with that. Um, I, maybe, maybe people shouldn't get a choice. Maybe you have to sit in the big boy union seat, um, no matter what, right? Maybe that's kind of like the situation we have right now with voting where you can't sell it off or anything. Anyway, please do enlighten me on, on this. Oh, sure. So your computer, you've got it set up with microphone and I assume that for the most part, you don't turn that microphone off. That is correct. And if that computer is on, that microphone is listening. Windows itself is listening. Now, on the surface, You'd think, well, you know, Windows is not selling my audio data to Amazon. What the hell is going on? But if you hit just Control Shift Escape right now and bring up your task manager, and you can see all these programs running on your computer. I've got 52 processes of Google Chrome, not 52 tabs, good God, but that's just how it works. Discord, Corsair Service, 
League of Legends, Steam, Adobe Creative Cloud. Please don't hate me for playing League of Legends. Uh, uh, yeah, that's 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 a rough one, but I'll I'll make it through. Deep in here, deep in your task manager, you'll see a lot of services that stem from some game you've downloaded, or uh, you know, Adobe, for instance. You've got your Adobe running most of the time, and they actually have access to that microphone data as it comes in. And then some of those will have an AI engine in them, or they'll just simply ship the data out to a remote server where there is, but some of them will have an AI engine in them that will interpret that data. And then that company that uh, owns that application has an agreement with Amazon, for instance, where they then transmit that data to them. And because it's coming from uh, your Adobe account, or even your computer, they can just match that straight up to your Amazon account as well. So anything you have that has a microphone and is not off, if your computer is off and there is absolutely nothing else in your room, uh, like not even your cell phone or anything like that, and it's still picking up what you're saying, you've got a ghost, you need to get that exercise. But that aside, if you've got anything on, that, that data is free game. What if it uh, is it, a ghost? Uh, well, there's a few different teams of Ghostbusters. I've heard various reviews about them. Um, uh, apparently, there's, there's something about uh, wokeness going on there, but uh, I'm not getting into that. That's, uh, <laughs> yeah, they can help I, you out there. Yeah, I, I didn't see the movie either. Um, the, um, yeah, I don't... The, the details of this escape me. I know, I know broadly why it happens. Um, the right to privacy is, is, a lot of this is just really abstracted, right? That's the issue. We, we don't have good brains for this kind of stuff, you know? Or maybe we're not educated for it. We're educated to be highly individualistic. Look out for yourself. But unfortunately, you know, we don't live on an island. Uh, acting in, 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 a, in a collective fashion can secure individual interests. So, for example, our right to privacy, right? You know, our right to privacy to your average person means shit. They do nothing to protect it. Uh, they're not on tour. You know, they're not onioning or whatever. They're not uh, protecting all their data with VPNs or any of that crap. Um, with democracy, you know, people will sell off their right to vote. I'm, I'm, I'm guessing here, but I really think that would happen. And with unions, you know, yeah. it, it reminds me, the average person's mindset towards unions reminds me, I think it was the Amazon, they had this subway advertisement where they were like, do you know how much union dues can cost? You could go buy a PS3 or something, or some crap like that. I mean, it must have been a PS4, it wasn't that long ago. Uh. Um, yeah, and, 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 and I think that that sells to a lot of people. Oh, that was Delta, Delta Airlines. That sells to Delta a lot of people. That? I guess so. Multiple people in chat said that, right? Oh, right. God. Um, no, go ahead. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm only saying, like, the, one of the reasons why I come down hard on this is because I feel like so many of these rights are, we, we're not good at fighting for them individually. Now, I'll tell you which group is really good at coordinating their individual efforts to form a collective action, and that's the bourgeois, okay? for There aren't many of them, and they are very good at, 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 at levying their, I guess Marx would call it their class interest, right? Class consciousness. They act in their own interests very effectively. 
Um, they're, they're, they're quite good at that. If you look at the ultra wealthy, there is a massively disproportional set of involvement in a ton of things from political opinions to campaign investitures to, you know, there, there are a ton of metrics that you can track, but they know what they're about. You know, they're educated, they're actualized, they've got free time, they're not bogged down by three part-time jobs or kids they have to take care of with no nanny or partner to help. They are on it. But the average person, I feel like you have to help them along a bit. And in, 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 I, I, you can do that through normalization, which I try to do. Um, and, and sometimes, you know, every once in a while, you know, I fall asleep and I dream that, you know, Huey Long smacks the hammer down and I wake up and, uh, you know, unions are mandatory now. Fuck you. And, and, and you know, everyone just, uh, yeah, just wakes up and they're like, oh, okay. You know, people bitch about it, but give it 10 years and people will, will treat it like it was never any different. Well, I'm just rambling at this you know, point. I'm the, very the, sorry. No, you're, you're good. The, the funny thing is, when it comes to local and state-level politics, at least those that I've been involved in. The number of people that I've met that are, I, I guess I, the, the way I'm interpreting your term of bourgeoisie or bourgeois or whatever um, would be in terms of wealth. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong there. Oh, um, I mean, they're almost always wealthy, but I mean, uh, people who make their money through the ownership of uh of of capital so people gotcha, yeah gotcha. people yeah they're, so they're they don't they don't work for their living like i mean i guess bezos technically like elon musk works right as like the ceo a fairly clear line yeah 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 but he doesn't that's not where yeah. he gets his money from so all the people i work with aside from a very very few they're they're all normal working people whether it's Republicans or, or Democrats. Uh, you know, it's not until you get to the federal level that the people moving the chains are largely, you know, as you said, bourgeois, that they're not, their own labor is not what makes them their money, uh, I, I believe you said. Um, so really, for these, these average people to get influence in the political process, they just gotta they just gotta do it the same way the rest of us did. You gotta give a shit and show up. That's that's most of the people I know, they they don't come from any famous family. They don't come from any wealth. They don't they don't come from people who were involved. I can't say the same about myself, but there's there's a lot of people who did. Uh the president of the political organization that I'm, I'm vice president of uh, grew up in a trailer park and, and, and did like, I don't know what he does now, but he used to work at funeral homes and stuff. Uh, he's not a, he doesn't own anything except maybe his house. And I don't even know if he owns that. Uh, all you got to do to get involved and make a difference and get your voice heard, at least on the local and state level, is to show up, honestly, show up. There is another key element though. I agree with showing up, political participation is necessary, but there is a key difference. Go ahead. Go ahead. The wealth and political power of the bourgeois 
allows them to cajole and coerce action out of politicians, but we can't do that without general strikes. If a CEO of a corporation is like, I'll move to your state if you're willing to subsidize, you know, the construction site of this new, like, corporate plant or whatever, that's, that's a decision with real weight because they have that, you know, coercive influence. But the only coercive influence working class people have is uh, a general strike or, I guess, you know, um, sector strikes. Uh, but the corporations enforce their will, you know, with that coercive force every hour of every day. It's how they do everything, you know, it's how the entire world works. Everything is built on the back of economic power from corporations, whereas strikes are vanishingly rare. Also, corporations get to do their power plays without threatening their own livelihoods. But when workers go on strike, you know, they're giving up their jobs. So the, the deck is very much stacked against the working class on this one. Unionizing helps a lot because it helps structure strikes. But beyond that, yeah, it's, it's, it's a really unfair dynamic. Um, but the world would grind to a halt if a general strike in America really took hold. So I guess I can hope for that. Yeah, I mean, you're right. It's not fair. Uh, I, I don't think anyone would disagree with you there. It, Ever, but uh, is that I don't necessarily believe that it not being fair doesn't mean that it can't benefit everyone. That's true. Uh, you know, there is a kind of natural inequality. I would consider, for example, the fact that humans need to eat and drink to be a natural coercive element um, that prevents us from uh, enacting our will. I don't think coercion has to be intentional uh, or, or conscious. Um, but systems can still be improved, you know. Uh, it, it, we're never going to have a perfectly fair world. There will always be people with more power and prestige, but I think the, the closer we get to a system where the most powerful person on Earth it lives a life very similar to the least powerful, I think, uh, I, I think things would be altogether quite a bit better. I feel, I feel we're running a bit in circles now. Um, I, which, I was about to... I was about to say the same thing. Uh, I well, did have just a couple fun things I wanted to touch. Yeah, hit me. Trump and China. All right? Mm -hmm. I think this will rile people up. I think China would win. A little bit more. No, I don't mean Trump versus China. I meant oh. that as two separate topics. Uh, I'll, I'll just be real brief. Trump. I can't stand the guy. I cannot stand the guy. Yeah, I just thought you'd either. be surprised by that. No, uh, well, I'm, well, you I, come off quite sensible. I'll say I'm not a big fan of the guy myself. I, I, I imagine so, at least. Um, I, 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 post, I posted something a year ago. I, I got reminded of this because it came up on my little Facebook timeline. Is, you did this a year ago on January 6th, or January 7th, excuse me, because I posted the morning after, mm -hmm. like saying, you know, this is not just impeachable, this is criminal. I hope this guy serves the full length of whatever sentence that is appropriate for, for the crimes that, uh, whatever crimes that they decide he's committed, because that it's an, an unacceptable assault on our democratic system 
and our what makes what makes America God. I was about to say great. Uh, <laughs> ah, it's it's getting to us, isn't it? Yeah, for him no. we use it's not the stick or the carrot. We use the stick on the carrot uh, <laughs> for best results. What I was going to say, it's the what, what's made America great is our peaceful transfer of power for hundreds of years. I don't care what party you belong to. I don't care what your beliefs are because, you know, you may obviously won't like this, but I agree with many of, of Trump's policies. I don't care what his policies are. If he's assaulting our peaceful transfer of power in this country, I don't think he should be involved in the political process. I think he should be in jail. Get the hell out of my America. Done with, done with him. Well, uh, we could, we could um, you know, give him to China. Have him uh, chill in one of those, uh, one of those prisons. Yeah, I, yeah, I saw really some... Nice with John Cena. Yeah, exactly. I saw some, some videos of, like, uh, Chinese political prisoners getting out, and they would, like, look in a camera and go, like, thank you to the Chinese government for educating me or whatever. Oh, Lord. I, I went on a trip to China less than a decade ago. I'm not going to be any more specific than that um, because I, I, I feel like that, that could easily dox me. But it was an official trip. It was an official trip. And so we had a government itinerary. And this, this is where my opinion of China flipped from neutral to overwhelmingly negative. Um, the Chinese government took us on a trip. Uh, we went to the capital, we went to Shanghai, we went to some rural areas. They had us go to this one place that they, they were talking about, we're creating, we're uplifting people out of poverty in rural China. And, you know, on the surface, I'm like, you know, that's great. Like, you know, Beijing was, you know, all these big buildings, Shanghai was this like corporate mecca, like there's all this wealth going on. It looks like they're, you know, using it to help the people out here. We go to this rural village and you can see these brand new apartment blocks from the, from the bus. You can see these brand new apartment blocks that have been built. And they look like any old like college apartment kind of style thing. A little balcony on every other one. You know, pretty nice little place. They've got a fountain, they've got a courtyard, nicely brick-paved walkways. And it's in the middle of this village, and all the surrounding area, you can see the houses that the people uh, had been living in. Uh, just squalor. Uh, forget modern amenities. The, the places were falling apart. They'd, you know, they, they'd been created before math was created. Uh, I'm being hyperbolic, but we get up and they give us a tour around this new village and there's nobody in any of these apartments. And so I, someone on our group asks, you know, why is, why is nobody inhabiting these? And they said, well, they're not finished yet. Or, or we just finished them, so they haven't moved in. And we're like, okay, whatever. And we start noticing things. Like the pipes along the walls, the exterior walls of the apartment building that are water pipes don't go into the apartments. The holes where they're supposed to go in, the pipes don't go in there. They just pass right by it. 
the locks on the doors are fake. There's all these indications that this is not really a apartment complex. This is not something that they're giving to these people. And when we asked the local official, we're like, how's, how's they, how are these things getting paid for? They said, well, the government's paying for half and the people are paying for half. And I don't know if you know much about the price of real estate in China, but these folks who are essentially subsistence farmers, as we can tell from the village, aren't, aren't going to afford $125,000, basically. And so it became clear that this was just intended as a show for us that they built this grand structure in the middle of this village, I'm certain displacing whatever was there before, to show off to foreign officials and visitors, not to help the people. And if anything, it hurt the people. It was hu probably humiliating for many of them. And so after that, I, I, I began having a negative view on China. And um, when the Trump administration came around and started engaging with China economically and diplomatically, um, which I think was a motivator behind China's actions in Hong Kong, especially um, to the point that now the entire world sees this bully of a government, of a fascist government, honestly, uh, that is the Communist Party of China. Uh, I, I think that they are the source of the most evil in this world. Uh, you know, you may disagree and say it's corporations or whatever, but if we're to name any single entity, I would say that the Communist Party of China is, is responsible for the most suffering and the biggest obstacle to progress in, in raising the quality of life for uh, people of the world. I was ranting. I'm sorry. Uh, no, not at all. Do you have anything on that? <laughs> oh, well, to me, it's all different tentacles of the same octopus, right? I mean, the Chinese government has billionaires working directly with it. There's a direct synthesis in the interests of the party, of the state, because it's not a democracy, and of the corporations under their beck and call. American corporations trade freely with China. We rely on Chinese manufacturing and industry. A ton of plants over there are owned by America, and a ton of stuff over here is owned by them. It's the same monster, capital. And in their case, authoritarianism, more of it than what we have, but I think the problems are pretty similar. Uh, antagonisms brought about by people with different class interests. Um, but uh, I, I mean, I think it's, it's, it's fundamentally an extension of the same issues. And as time goes on, more and more of our freedom-loving American corporations are going to kowtow to Chinese interests. We've already seen this with the NBA. We see movies that are being promoted over in China have, like, black people removed from the uh, posters. We see, like, uh, oh, you Jesus. Know, yeah. Chinese-owned mega-corporations that, hey, like League, uh, you know, uh, Tencent, uh, you know, they, 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 there are weird restrictions associated with that. And as time goes on, American cultural hegemony starts to wane in favor of China's. We're going to start to enjoy more and more pieces of media that are adjusted for Chinese cultural interests. Probably going to see a lot less skeletons, since that's considered a cultural taboo over there, and they don't include that in their media. They censor it, actually. The government does. Um, so yeah, we, we have that to look forward to. And all of it, in my opinion, at the end of the day, is um, 
a, a lack of democracy, political and economic. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, hopefully whatever problems we could solve here in the States, we could solve there too. All right. Well, uh, Vosh. It, is, it has been a uh, wonderful talk. I really appreciate you coming on. Thank you for your time and your, your generosity to have me on your channel and, and to allow me to uh, express my views. Uh, I think this was really productive. I, I, I learned stuff. Uh, I, I think you learned some stuff as well, you know, especially that, that property tax discussion. I, I think uh, you, you sounded like you got a lot out of that. Um, I well, hope it reinforces I... the idea that all of us want what's best for the average people of this country and that, as I said, we just have different ways to go about it. I am interested in seeing how the proportion of state income from income tax, property tax, and sales tax would look state to state. I think that'd be a really interesting thing to look into. I also hadn't considered the possibility that increasing the property taxes in a state would actually decrease initial home investment costs. Uh, that's, that's really interesting to think about. I, I, I'd have to look into that. Um, anyway, thank you very much for coming on. I really do appreciate it. We might be doing a bit of a conversation sandwich here because the next one might be as... Uh, uh, hollow was the first. Uh, have a wonderful <laughs> night. Thank you, boss. You too. Take care. I understand that he should have known this, but I hope uh, I hope he knew that the first conversation I was referring to was the one with non-compete and not with him. That was a good conversation. I think it's important to be able to dust up on stuff like that. Um, you know, I, I am interested in the the housing taxes kind of thing. Or Republicans should be like him. I, I will admit that his party alignment is a bit of a mystery to me. He has a tremendous amount of faith in the system as is. Um, but, you know, it's, it's fine. It's important to have these conversations.